here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Fitz's Sports Show. My name is Jaren Fitzsimmons. For those of you that might not know me, uh, I made a little trailer that you guys can go listen and I talk a little bit more about myself and why I'm starting a podcast and things like that. It's not long, just a minute and a half to two minutes. So, you know, if you haven't checked that out, go check it out. Um, if you do have checked it out already and you're here for the show, well, before we get going, there is, you know, an elephant in the room in our country right now that needs to be addressed. Um, I initially had written up a little statement that I was going to read, but it just doesn't feel genuine, and I feel like it'd be best if I relay this message and what I want to say just off the top of my head. So if I make any mistakes or any, you know, flub up some words, please forgive me. Um, but we're in a crazy time in our country right now. You know, I'm sure many of you guys are aware of what happened, you know, in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, with the killing of George Floyd, you know, an unarmed black man at the hands of the police. This has been a trend in our country for a long time, and it's been, you know, something that I think all of us, people who aren't, you know, people of color, we've dropped the ball. We've been dropping the ball. Me personally, I've dropped the ball. Uh, we haven't done enough to really help our fellow humans and people of color in this fight, you know, for equality and, and for justice. And now, you know, it's the time for us to change that. So I just want to, you know, implore all of you, no matter what, you know, race you are, where you're from, you know, how old you are, none of that matters. We all have to come together now. You know, now is the time for change. Now is the time for our voice to be heard. We have the stage. And, you know, if you're someone who like myself who hasn't taken you know hard political stances in the past and who hasn't you know kind of sat on the sidelines maybe said it wasn't our fight well it's our fight now and it has to be our fight we no longer can sit on the sidelines you know when there's all this injustice around us i cannot you know morally or i can't just sit on a side and i encourage all of you guys to be active uh you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly, end quote. And, you know, that's kind of the first thought that came into my head when I found out about the killing of George Floyd. I thought to myself, this obviously isn't right to see a man on the ground with an officer's, you know, leg, knee pressed into his neck, calling out for his mother who has already passed away. It's not right. For that amount of time, for eight minutes, you know, it made me, it gave me a sick feeling in my stomach. And I'm sure that's a feeling that everyone felt watching that video. I don't know how you can watch that video and not feel that. And it's clear that this is an injustice. And, it's, and like Dr. King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's not black justice. That's everyone's justice, you know. And, you know, I felt guilty. I feel like, you know, this obviously isn't the first time something like this has happened in our country. And, you know, unfortunately it probably won't be the last. But, you know, as I'm seeing all these other people who have never seen make, you know, political statements or take a st stance or, you know, let their voice be heard, start to vocalize their frustrations, you know, it, I too feel that I need to vocalize my frustrations too, that this isn't okay, and that, you know, I need to show 
my support for people of color and for the black community. So this is what I'm doing. Um, I am imploring all of you, you know, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, wherever you're from, no matter your age, to let your voice be heard. Do not stand by on the sideline and let this injustice carry on in our country. Show up to the voting booths and vote out politicians, you know, refuse to enact laws that would provide support to the black community. Show up to protest and stand side by side with each other. You know, see, talk to people of color. See what things they deal with on a day-to-day basis and see how you can help, most importantly. You know, there's a lot of petitions going around on social media. I encourage you to sign those petitions. Register to vote. Show up to protest and do so peacefully. You know, you can't fight violence with violence. That's not going to solve anything. I understand the frustrations, though. I do understand how people are fed up. I understand it. I get it. And, you know, 99% of the protesters out there, they are peaceful. They aren't rioting. They aren't looting. It seems like there's a 1% of people who are taking advantage of this situation not to call out injustice but to loot and to riot and to create violence. I would encourage all of you guys not to do that, to take the peaceful route, to show up to the voting booths, to show up to, you know, the rallies and everything and let your voice be heard, sign the petitions, but do so peacefully. And, you know, it starts in your own communities, you know, if there's injustice in your community, speak up for it. You know, ask, you know, show up to local protests, ask what we can do to help, you know, donate money if you can, sign petitions. And I'm just going to leave you guys with this other quote from Dr. King. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And we're living in the definition of challenging times and controversial times. Are you going to stand for justice, equality, and try and end racism and help your fellow humans? Or are you going to sit on the sideline when your fellow humans are in need? I would implore all of you guys to please, please, please do something. Don't just sit on the side. Do something, whether it be signing a petition, going to the rally, showing up to the voting booths. Do something, please. Do something to make a change because this has been going on for far too long in our country. It starts with us, and it can end with us. So let's make a positive impact on the world. Let's be on the right side of history. Let's set the example for future generations And let's create real change together. Because we can do it together, but we can only do it together. Alright. We're here. It's happening. The first ever episode of Fitz's Sports Show. Uh, I won't do too much of an intro here, but really, guys, sincerely, thank you for tuning in and listening. It means a lot to me. I know that you guys all have your other shows that you watch, and the fact that you would consider me as an option is really humbling, and it's it's really cool, and I appreciate that so much. But let's just get right into it, because you're not here for all that. The NBA has a plan to resume basketball. It's going to get voted on tomorrow. It's currently Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday what day? Wednesday, June 3rd. It'll be voted on Thursday, June 4th as to if this plan will actually happen. All reports are that this probably will get passed and this is what basketball we're going to get for the rest of this year, essentially. Um, so it will resume July 31st in Orlando, 
at Disney World, and it would the last possible date would be October 12th. That would be Game 7 of the NBA Finals. I believe the lottery and all that stuff is set to happen in October as well after the season concludes. But pretty much the NBA will send 22 teams, 13 Western Conference teams, and 9 Eastern Conference teams to Orlando. They'll play 8 regular season games. After they play 8 regular season games, there'll be a play-in for the 8th seed in the playoffs. Only if the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed. So this was kind of confusing to me at first, but it makes sense. So if you're in, if your team's in eighth and you're more than four games ahead of ninth, you're safe. You're going right to the playoffs. There won't be a playing game. But if you're if that ninth seed is within four games of eighth seed, there will have to be playing games. And in the situation that happens, the eighth seed would only have would have double elimination, meaning they'd have to be beaten twice in order for them to be knocked out. And the ninth seed would only have to be beaten once. So if your team's in the eighth seed and they beat the ninth seed in the playing game, they go right in. They have to lose twice to get knocked out. If your team's in the ninth seed, they only have to lose once to get knocked out, and they have to beat the eighth seed twice to advance to the playoffs. It's kind of the NBA's way of giving the advantage and rewarding the eighth seed team for finishing higher. You know, it makes sense. It's not uncommon in sports whatsoever. Uh, this creates a lot of interesting matchups, though. So first off, we got to rule out the teams that can't get the 8th seed. So in the East, the teams that are mathematically not able to get the 8th seed, they've essentially clinched a playoff berth, are Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Miami, uh, Indiana, and Philly. In the West, it's the Clippers, the Lakers, Denver, Utah, OKC, and Houston. So that means teams that can get the eighth seed in the east are brooklyn they're currently the seventh seed and they're only you know 0.5 games ahead of orlando in the eighth spot orlando's in the eighth spot washington's the ninth seed and they're five and a half games out but keep in mind with the rule they only have they're essentially only one and a half games out from forcing a playoff a play-in game so if washington can you know use their eighth game regular season to push themselves closer to orlando then would ha- see a playing game of Orlando versus Washington. Uh, in that situation, who knows? I think Washington might even have an advantage in terms of superstars. You know, Bradley Beal and stuff. They could have the advantage there. I don't know. Orlando's a tough team. The situation that really gets wacky is if Brooklyn comes out and they get off to a slow start and they maybe fall back into the eighth seed. Then you're looking at, you know, a Brooklyn team with maybe... I don't know how Kevin Durant's progress is going, if he'd be able to play, or Kyrie Irving. But if it seems that if they're not playing, that Brooklyn would probably end up dropping back to the 8th seed, and Orlando has a good opportunity to move up, since Brooklyn's only a half a game ahead of Orlando. In the West, however, it gets a lot more complicated. It's a lot easier in the East. There's only the three teams that are really battling for that 8th seed. In the West, there's a ton. So you have Dallas at 7th who's seven games ahead of Memphis. Memphis is in eighth. You have Portland in ninth, who they're three and a half games. So if the season ended today, if they finished within four games, they would have the play-in. They would get to play the eighth seed for a spot to move into the playoffs. You have the Pelicans at tenth, who are only who are also three and a half games behind eighth. Sacramento at eleventh, once again, three and a half games behind eighth. So you have Portland, uh, New Orleans, and Sacramento all tied. For that ninth spot, essentially, I think Portland gets it because of the tiebreaker rules. Then you have San Antonio, who's in 12th, who is four games behind eighth, and even they 
would be in a playoff a playing game right now. I don't know what the NBA is going to do if multiple teams finish, like if the season ends ends when there's two teams. Like let's say the ninth and tenth seed are tied, they're only the same amount of games back from the eighth seed. I don't know how they're going to determine tiebreakers there. And then Phoenix is your last team that could potentially you know get that eighth seed or get into a playoff game or a playing game. They're thirteenth. They're six games behind eight, so they have a little bit of work to do. Um, the eighth game regular season is going to feel a lot like playoff basketball, if you ask me. You're going to have a lot of teams, Dallas, Memphis, Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, Phoenix, Orlando, Brooklyn, Washington. These guys are essentially entering the playoffs now. They, you know, Unless you're a team that's clinched, you're fighting for your playoff life, essentially. To me, that just screams good basketball. It's going to be high-quality basketball. might be a short regular season, but it's going to be jam-packed with action. Hopefully, a lot of close games. You know, obviously, rust might play a factor. These teams have been sitting for months, haven't been able to practice. It might take them some time to get back into it. But they might not. There's teams that don't have a lot of time to, you know, work out the rust. You know, if you're Phoenix, you can't afford to lose too many of those eight regular season games. You're already six games behind, essentially, two games behind from being able to play in a play in game. But you got work to do. You can't come out sluggish and you know drop the first two, three games. No, you got to be ready to go and ready to rock. Now, if you're a team that's like, you know, the Lakers or a team that's already clinched, you have the luxury of kind of working out the kinks. Obviously, you don't want to work out the kinks too much because you might end up dropping down and losing your seed and getting a lower seed. It's going to be wacky, man. We're looking at some crazy playoff matches. Imagine if L.A. holds the number one seed and, let's say, New Orleans managed to get the eighth seed. You'd have a Los Angeles, New Orleans Pelican, LeBron versus Zion playoffs, which signed me up for. You know, I would love to see Dame even sinking in the playoffs at the eighth seed. You know, Lakers, Lakers Blazers round one. What about... Here's the here's the real scenario. Let's say Dallas. I'm gonna assume Dallas ends up staying at the seventh seed. Uh, they're seven games ahead of Memphis. Technically, if they lost all their games, they would fall to the eighth seed. I'm gonna go ahead and say Dallas is pretty much secure at that seventh seed. Then the eighth seed is only up for grabs. So looking in in the West, the eight seeds that the teams that could really contend for that eighth seed are Memphis, Portland. New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, Phoenix. So out of that group, right off the bat, teams that stand out to me as real threats, you know, Portland, I think with Dame and CJ McCollum, you know, they've had the playoff experience. Obviously, that's an advantage for them. We see what Dame Lillard does in the playoffs. I would say they're probably my favorite to steal that eight seed away from Memphis. Uh, Memphis is young. You know, Ja, Jaron Jackson Jr., do they have the leadership and the experience to really kind of get through this crazy schedule i don't know new orleans you know it'd be fun to see zion williamson sacramento's probably too young san antonio great Povich could maybe get him into it but they have some work to do and phoenix has some work to do as well so just off the top my prediction would probably be portland in the west gets the eighth seed i would first off, i want to see playing games so i'm hoping they stay within four because i just think that would be nutty to watch kind of these eighth teams battle for a chance to even go into the playoffs. It's really similar to what they do in March Madness with the, the playing games there. Only it's not double elimination if you're an eighth seed. So 
Sign me up for the Portland-New Orleans Pelicans play-in game to see who gets to play the Lakers round one. And then sign me up for Orlando-Washington play-in game to see who gets Milwaukee round one there. So that's that's the good news. If you're sports fans, you know, obviously we've been waiting for a long time. You've been deprived of sports for months. I don't even know. This, this time during COVID has been so crazy. It, it, it was such a huge deal. Now all of a sudden it's not really a huge deal. Places are opening up. Some places are slower than others to open up. I just hope this ends up happening because I think we deserve an end to the NBA season. It was a great season as it was going on, and then the crazy COVID stuff happens, and basketball is seemingly taken from us overnight. So I hope we can get a good – I hope this goes through. I hope it's voted and it passes through, and I'm excited about that. But moving on to another league, we have the NFL. So one fun thing I decided that we could probably do before we get basketball and we have a lot of sports stuff to talk about is we can uh, go through and break down the power rankings for uh, the NFL. So I decided I'm going to do 32 through 20 today. Then I'm going to do it in increments of 10. So the next episode, I'll, I'll release my next top 10. Or maybe I'll do 5. I don't know. We'll do each episode. I'm going to add on to it and I'm going to release the, the highest... What am I trying to say here? I don't even know what I'm trying to say. We're starting 32 through 20 power rankings, and then we're going to uh, reveal more and more each episode. So let's get right into that. So right now, the 32, <coughs> excuse me, my 32nd best team in the NFL, the, I mean, or I guess you say the worst team in the NFL, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars. So when I look at Jacksonville, I see a mass exodus of talent, right? They lost Jalen Ramsey, Nick Foles. Um, what's the guy? Calais Campbell. They lost a lot of talent. That's a lot of talent to replace. I do like Gardner Minshew. I got a, a chance to watch him a lot at Washington State. He's a stud, but I don't know. You know, he probably needs more time to develop. So I got the Jacksonville Jaguars at thirty-two. At thirty-one, I got Washington. So you know, they they really reloaded their pass rush. They got Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and Ryan Kerrigan. That's a frightening trio. But they got to prove it on offense. You know, Dwayne Haskins, I don't know if he's ready for the role that he has right now. I feel like he would have been a guy that would benefit from sitting a couple years. Uh, doesn't have that luxury. He's getting right into it. Um, he'll probably be the starter for this year for sure. And then pro probably the next year, depending on how well he plays. Uh, 30th, I got the Giants. And the only reason I have the Giants here, well, not the only reason, but... The main reason is they have a brutal start to their schedule. And with a young quarterback like Daniel Jones, he gets down early, it might be tough to recover. So let's look at this New York Giants schedule. They got week one, they're home versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, you know, got something to prove. Disappointing season last year. Big Ben coming back. <clears throat> that's, that's not an easy game. I bet they lose that game. And then, okay, you lose Pittsburgh, maybe you can go into week two, steal a win. Well, you got to go to Chicago. Not much tougher places to play. At least it'll be somewhat warmer beginning of the year. But Chicago, Soldier Field, that's a tough team on the road. Good chance they can lose that one as well. So now you're 0-2. You're Daniel Jones and you're, you know, the coaching staff in New England. You're getting a uh, not New England, in New York. You're getting a little nervous. You're 0-2. Got to have one in week three. And then who do you get? Oh, you get San Francisco the Super Bowl runner-ups. That's a tough one to swallow. So now, if you don't steal one of your first three games, you're 0-3. You're not feeling good. You already have ground to make up. 
Daniel Jones is feeling the pressure. I guarantee the coaching staff starts to feel the pressure. It could start getting ugly, and then they have to go to Los Angeles, which, you know, probably a w more winnable game than the first three, if you ask me. But at that point, you're 0-3. You already feel nervous. You need to get a win. Let's say you even do steal that win. Well, then you have to go to Dallas. You have two straight road games. You got to go play a division rival who Dallas. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. Disclaimer. But Dallas is the better team than New York. I don't think there's a lot of people that can argue me on that. So, yeah, just a horrific start, too. And then it kind of lightens up. You go play Washington. But then you got to go right back to Philly and then play Tampa. So, a horrific start to the season if you're the Giants. That doesn't necessarily spell success for a young quarterback. Um, obviously, you'd love to get him a chance to get a rhythm earlier on in the year, get some momentum rolling, maybe get his feet under him at least. But nope, the NFL does the Giants no favors with the scheduling. <coughs> so unfortunately, for Giants fans, I get you guys at 30th on my power rankings. 29th, we're keeping it in New York. I got the Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. That's right. 29th, not a lot to celebrate in New York if you're a football fan. Uh, the, the Jamal Adams drama, who knows if he'll even be there. He's the best player on that roster. They're having drama. He might be on my Dallas Cowboys by the end of the, by the, end of the offseason. Who even knows? They threw the bag at Le'Veon Bell, his, and he was a 31st best rusher in the NFL in terms of yards per game. Not what you wanted to see on Le'Veon Bell. I like Sam Darnold. I like, they do have pieces in place, but they're just not there yet. Give New York the Jets a couple more years to kind of get things going. And to kind of build that roster, they're kind of trying to reshape things, it seems. 28th, I have Cincy. Um, I'm actually pretty high on Cincinnati. I love the pick, the Joe Burrow pick. He is obviously the best player in the draft, in my opinion. And they have weapons around Joe Burrow. They got A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. So that's stacked. That's what I love about Cincinnati. That's why I love the Joe Burrow pick, is you have the weapons in place already. Bring a young quarterback in, make his life easier from day one. If you can get a competent defense there, Cincinnati could even be higher by the end of the year in terms of power rankings. But right now we got my 28th. Not that's higher than honestly I expected going into this. I thought Cincy would be, you know, for sure 30, 31, maybe even 32. But no, they sneak into 28. Pretty much just off of Joe Burrow, and you know, just the, kind of the offensive weapons they have. 27 is Carolina. Uh, down year for them, obviously. No Cam Newton for the first time in a while. New head coach in Matt Rule. Uh, they bring in Teddy Bridgewater, and they still have Christian McCaffrey. I actually like Teddy Bridgewater. You know, I was a fan of his in Minnesota. Obviously, the injuries kind of took him out. Found a spot in New Orleans. He was a great teammate there, by all accounts. Guys love him. And then, obviously, Christian McCaffrey's an animal. They, they could. This is a team that, you know, I think could make me look wrong. And could make me look dumb because I think they could do a lot better than this 27 ranking I'm giving them in the power rankings. But for right now, I cannot justify moving them up higher. So if you're a Carolina fan, don't come at my throat. I think you could still have a chance. But I think if we're talking realistically, the 27th spot's probably what you need to be. What What's realistic right now in terms of expectations. <clears throat> 26th spot. I got the Detroit Lions, you know, Matt Patricia going into his third year there. It's prove it time, you know, not a lot of success in his first two years. It's time to, you know, prove it or lose it. He's going to be on the hot seat. Could potentially be his last year in Detroit if they don't win. Matthew Stafford was having a hell of a year last year till he got injured. 
I think I still I'm a Matthew Stafford fan. He's 32, so his time's running out as well. He's not getting any younger. They didn't really do anything with him in his prime. He's getting on the tail end of his prime. You know, the pressure's on in Detroit. It's win now or let's start the rebuild, you know, in my opinion in Detroit. I got them at 26 just because if Stafford can, came, can stay healthy, you know, he's going to keep them in a lot of games with the offense. But if he's not healthy, watch out. It might be another bad year in Detroit. <clears throat> 25th is another team that could potentially make me look stupid by winning and end up finishing higher. I got the Cleveland Browns. Um, their main problem to me is they're, they're loaded. This isn't a problem. They're loaded with talent. You know, they have a new head coach. The biggest struggle for them, and you know, what makes me put them at 25 is if they can manage the egos on the team. Like I said, they got a lot of stars, but they also have a lot of ego. Um, but really, at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to if they can manage that ego and if Baker Mayfield can continue to grow and take steps from... Because last year, he wasn't good enough. To, he wasn't a playoff quarterback, in my opinion. If he could take that step and be a you know fringe playoff quarterback, Cleveland might have a chance because they have a lot of talent. They can manage the egos. Baker can grow. Cleveland can make me look stupid. 24th, we got the Chargers. The, the only reason I have the Chargers here, lose Phillip Rivers. He was your staple of your franchise. I don't think you can lose your franchise quarterback and then immediately contend the next year. I think it takes time for a new, new uh, system and kind of a new guy to get his footing. Tyrod Taylor. I'm actually a big Tyrod Taylor fan. I don't think he's, you know, obviously not a star quarterback, but he, he manages the game well. He doesn't take risks. Hardly turns the ball over. He's gotten to the playoffs with the Bills. I think if you want to go safe, I think Tyrod Taylor could probably get you some wins. But if you want to play for the future and get Justin Herbert reps right away, then you throw him at the starter. So really, I can't put them any higher until I know who your quarterback's going to be. If you're, 24, you're at 24th right now, if I knew who your quarterback was, you'd probably be a little higher. But I just don't, there's too many questions for me to feel comfortable putting the Chargers that much higher. Still got a lot of talent, though. They can really make me look dumb. That's kind of the theme with these lower half teams. You have teams like Cleveland and the Chargers and maybe even Carolina who, if they, if Teddy, you know, maybe Teddy Bridgewater comes to Carolina and starts playing well. Maybe Baker gets it together. You know, maybe Tyrod Taylor can make the Chargers consistent enough to make the playoffs. Then I look stupid for putting them here. But right now, they haven't shown me enough to justify putting them any higher. 23 is the New England Patriots. Yep, you heard that, the New England Patriots. They lost Tom Brady. Lost Rob Gronkowski. Kyle Van Noy is gone. Jamie Collins is in Cleveland. They lost a lot of talent. And, you know, Bill Belichick gets a lot of credit. Rightfully so. Probably the best coach in NFL history. But we're going to really see what Bill Belichick is like as a head coach now. If he can get this New England team to the playoffs, then, hey, more power to him. But right now, I see New England as the 23rd, uh, in the 23rd slot. Just... You, it's hard, you know, I don't care who you are, Bill Belichick or not, it's hard to replace that much talent loss. You know, and it seems like they're kind of going to take a couple years to try and rebuild. Is Jarrett sit on their guy? Who knows? Maybe they take a quarterback next year. It's really a tryout year for him. I think if he, he shows enough, he could probably carve out a nice little spot for himself in, in New England. But if he can't show out, you know, I bet New England's shopping for a quarterback during the draft next. Sorry, we had a little bit of technical difficulties there, but we're back. I believe we're on the 22nd slot with the Atlanta uh, Falcons. In my opinion, they're a team that's stuck. You know, a lot of times in sports, teams get stuck in mediocrity. 
we saw it with the Clippers in the NBA during the Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, you know, Blake Griffin era. And I think we're seeing it again with the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta has a team, a pretty good team, but they're underperforming. Ever since they lost the Super Bowl to New England, they've been underperforming. They've had talent. They lost a lot of talent, granted, but <clears throat> they're still a team that, you know, with a guy like Matt Ryan, a head coach like Dan Quinn, a team that's won before, guys that have won before, the franchise is expecting them to continue winning. But they're going to have to get a couple more pieces in order to contend. That's going to be a lot of money. You know, Matt Ryan's not getting any younger. Dan Quinn's been there for six years. They already, you know, blew, blew one Super Bowl. Are you going to go invest more money in those guys again, or are you going to break it down and rebuild? I think that's what's coming. I bet this is Dan Quinn's last year in Atlanta. It's his sixth year there. He has one more year on his deal, I think. I think if they don't come out and at least get in the playoffs, I believe we see a new head coach in Atlanta. And you're probably rightfully so. Six years is a lot of time at a win-one franchise, especially in the NFL where it seems like new coaches are getting hired, you know, on a yearly basis. But, you know, until Atlanta gets kind of out of this rut, I can't, can't put them any higher than 22nd. 21st is another team that can really make me look dumb. It's Denver. They added a lot of young talent. Added Jerry Judy, KJ Handler. They got Drew uh, Lockett quarterback. And they also went out and got Melvin Gordon from the Chargers, who's a stud. A stud running back. So Denver really reloaded, trying to keep up with Mahomes and those guys in the AFC in the division. Uh, until we kind of see what Drew Locke's about and what he can do with this you know, new talent, I'm not putting Denver any higher than 21. But I definitely would not be surprised if they're higher at the end of the year rankings than they are now. And for the last one for the day is number 20. <clears throat> I have, drumroll please, da -da 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 -da. Houston. The Houston Texans, uh, they seemingly just gave away their star receiver in DeAndre Hopkins for pretty much nothing. To their credit, they did add Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks to at least give DeAndre Hopkins someone to throw to. I think, But I do think it's hard to replace a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, and I think Houston takes a step back this year. All right, last topic of the day is something that I kind of want to... I see a lot of people talking about, but I very rarely see people talking about it informed. They're not very informed in their opinions. And that's this Dak Prescott uh, contract situation. So there was a report that came out that Dak was asking $45 million for his last year of his contract. Uh, everyone kind of blew their lid, thought that was outrageous. Not completely outrageous, though, if you think about what the quarterback market would be at that time you know, four years, five years down the road. But it is outrageous when you think about what quarterbacks are getting paid now. But it was reported, and it turned out to be proven false. Adam Schefter said that that's not what's going on. So now Dak and the Cowboys really have two options. The first option is this. <clears throat> you could franchise tag Dak this year, and he would make $31.4 million. Or you could work on a long-term extension, you know, and try and lock Dak up now and not just keep playing the franchise tag game. Because it seems like when quarterbacks get franchise tag, they very rarely ever end staying end up staying at that team after their team stops tagging them. Like look at Kirk Cousins, you know, Washington tagged him I think two years, and now he's in Minnesota. <clears throat> you know, it happens pretty frequently in the NFL. Teams will just franchise tag quarterbacks so they don't really know if he's the guy. Let them prove themselves, and if they prove it try and resign them. If not, they let them go. Or the quarterback might even choose to leave on their own. But 
in this situation, I believe Dak ends up getting an extension. But if you're Dak Prescott and you're going to the extension, you know that you're going to get $31.4 million for the season regardless. So you're not signing any contract that's going to pay you less than that for this year. Because you're going to get that regardless. And then it gets even more interesting, and this is when you start seeing the higher numbers, is if Dak is franchise tagged next year, like let's say the Cowboys tag him this year, he plays the season, they go into next offseason, still trying to get a deal done, can't get a deal done, franchise tag him again like the Redskins did to Kirk Cousins, he will make $37.7 million being franchise tagged. So knowing that, it helps us understand probably Dak Prescott's pers- uh, perspective on this. Dak knows if he's patient and doesn't accept a deal where he's going <clears> to <throat> you know, make less money, he's going to get franchise tagged. He's going to get tagged this year and make $31.4 million. He'll get tagged next year and make $37.4 million. For those of you counting at home, that's $69.1 million for two years of playing football. If you're Dak Prescott and you know you can make that by being franchise tagged, why would you ever consider sending a contract that's going to pay you less than that money per year? You can make the argument he could get 35 a year, and then you know it kind of balances out. He ends up making more money. He ends up making around 70 million instead of 69 million, without having to have the huge 37 million dollar price tag on the team. You know, holding down the cap, you have at least a little bit more money to work with. But the bottom line is, Dak's going to get paid, and he's going to get paid a lot. People are going to, you know bitch and moan and cry about it but it's really the nfl that we live in today i mean if you look at the highest paid players in the nfl they're all quarterbacks and they're not really guys you'd expect to be up there in terms of highest paid you know players let me look up highest paid qbs nfl so top earning um Top earning players in NFL in 2020. So you have Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson is the quarterback. He makes 35 million a year. That he's not going to be the highest paid player for very much longer. You have Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger makes 34. Okay, so those two you can see. You could make the argument <coughs> that those two should be paid more than Dak. They both won Super Bowls. Both veterans of the game uh, really proven themselves have won Super Bowls. Um, Aaron Rodgers comes in and Jared Goff come in second. They're both tied at 33.5. Once again, make the case for Rodgers to be paid more than Dak. I probably agree. I agree that Russell Wilson, maybe Ben Roethlisberger, and Aaron Rodgers are probably better quarterbacks than um, Dak Prescott, with the exception of ben, Big Ben. I believe you can argue that a little bit with Ben being older. But Jared Goff <coughs> making 33.5. If you want to put their resumes together, and then, even just for fun, the next in line is Carson Wentz that made $32 million. Those are Dak's peers. That's who the comparison is. They came in together at the same time. I believe they were pick one, two, and Dak was pick whatever he was. Those are the people that we could compare Dak to. So we know he's going to be in that range. Because Dak, you know, in my opinion, he's on the same level as Jared Goff. I, statistically, he's on the same level with both Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. And I would put his resume up against either of them as well. So Dak's somewhere in the range of $32 million to $33.5 million per year. That makes sense <coughs> if you're just looking at that. But when you tie in the fact that Dak's going to make $31 million this year and then 37 next year, why would Dak sign on to make $32 million a year when he can make $37 million next year? 
well, you could say Dak might be a, you know want to be a team guy and want to you know give the team more cap space, which I do think that would be something Dak Prescott would do. I think we end up Dak ends up signing somewhere in the range of thirty two million to thirty five million range. I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere thirty five. It might even creep a little higher when you start to look at Dak's going to get paid thirty seven million a year. Why would he sign for anything less? I think Dak kind of understands that if he does $35 million now, he makes up for, he'll make more money than he would franchise tagging the first year, and less money he, he would make less money than he would the second year, but it balances out to end up, he ma- ends up making more money for the two years. Bottom line is Dak's going to get paid either way. If you're Dak Prescott, you're not in a hurry to sign a contract. I mean, you're going to get $31 million anyway. Why sign a contract? Then if you don't even sign it next year, you get $37 million. <coughs> So... Honestly, I see a world where Dak just gets franchise tagged, and I think that's probably 50-50 on whether Dak ends up signing a deal or whether he gets franchise tagged. Uh, I guess time will uh, time will tell, and we'll have to find out, but for right now, my money's that Dak and the Cowboys end up getting a deal done. I think Dak would like the idea, idea of the long-term stability, and I think the Cowboys don't have anyone else that they could throw in at quarterback, unless they want to franchise tag him this year and go out and draft a quarterback next year. But I don't see, you know, with the talent you have on this team, you are you really are in contention, if not one or two pieces away from contention. So why are you going to go trade your franchise quarterback right now? It's just not the time to be shopping for a quarterback. I think Dallas knows that. They know Dak's value. They have to play hardball. I bet a deal gets done. Dak has to play hardball as well. So that's kind of all we're seeing. They'll end up coming to a deal or he's going to get franchise tag and get extended later. If you're, if you're a Cowboys fan like me, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Unless you don't want Dak to be a quarterback. Then you probably got a lot to worry because I bet Dak Prescott's going to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys for the foreseeable future. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to the first ever episode. It's very much a work in progress. I'm still trying to get everything sorted out and figured out <clears throat> and kind of fine-tune and make this the best podcast that it can be. I'm going to try and get guests on in the future, try and make longer episodes. I think longer episodes are better because you can kind of come back to them. But then there's also a lot to be said about a short episode that you can get your information quick and get on with your day. Uh, I'm thinking it's anywhere in the sweet spot of an hour, hour and a half. I wouldn't want to go any longer. And I probably don't want to go shorter than that. But thank you for tuning in. Make sure to hit me in on Twitter at Jaren Fitz, J-A-R-E-N-F-I-T-Z. And on Instagram at Fitz's Sports Show. Thank you guys. I'm so humbled that you're listening to this podcast. Please let me know if there's anything you want to see or anything you want to hear, guess, anything. Let me know you're hearing it. Just follow me. Check me out. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you guys on Monday.